Praise the Lord. Look, let's uh, open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, please. What I'd like to talk about tonight, what was it that held Jesus to the cross of Calvary? Now, we know physically that there were nails in his hands and in his feet. We understand that there's some groups who believe there were cords holding him there or rope holding him there. They don't believe that's necessarily what the scriptures say. But uh, we want to find out tonight what it was that held Jesus to the cross of Calvary. Uh, Matthew 26 and verse 46 will start in, Let us rise. Jesus said, Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand which does betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came with him a great multitude and so- with swords and staves uh, from the chief priests from the elders of Israel. Uh, he, now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and he kissed him. And Jesus said, Friend, wherefore art thou come? And they then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck off the servant of the high priest, struck off the high priest and smote off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, Put up again your sword into its place, For they that take up the sword will perish with the sword. Thinkest thou not that I can now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. That's a big number. We won't go into the details. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that that thus it must be? So it was not because Jesus was without friends that he stuck at it. And he thought, oh, well. I may as well do it. Nobody else loves me, so I'll just do it, sort of thing. Twelve legions of angels. I was reading today where uh, a Roman legion of the time was about 6,841 soldiers made for various amounts of uh, cavalry and soldiers as well there. And for 12 of those, you can multiply that out. With it, you can catch your calculators out and work it out. It's a lot of angels. And so Jesus wasn't ever alone. His heavenly Father watched him everywhere he went. His heavenly Father was within him. We read the angels were watching him all the time. So he wasn't without friends. We know he had the disciples following him who didn't really fully understand what was going on. We read there that when Jesus was taken, we'll read it further down, he'll read on, shall we? Uh, Verse 55, in that same hour, uh, said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. But this was all done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So they actually didn't have a clue, did they? They didn't have their eyes on the prize. They didn't understand about Jesus. But we do read that Peter followed them and he was off for a fair distance and, 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 and took him there. But anyway, the story here is that he was being watched every second of the day and night by the armies of God. Okay? So are you. So am I. Every second of every day we are being watched by the armies of the living God. There's nothing that happens to us without their knowledge. Jesus set up the pattern to make us sons and daughters of the living God. And so the same protection afforded him as has been afforded us. He was crucified. We may have to go through some difficulty, and we do in some sense too. 
but he will never leave us nor forsake us. He died to give us a way through our difficulty and our trouble. And he did it because he had his heavenly father watching over him. Okay, it wasn't human weakness. Go to John chapter 10. Some think he was just weak and and gave in. What was the whole point of it? It wasn't human weakness that uh, made him stay on the cross of Calvary because he didn't know what else to do. In verse, uh, sorry, chapter 10 and verse 11 we read, I am the good shepherd. So he identifies him. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I want you to go on down to verse 17. Therefore does my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. There's a purpose and a reason I'm going to give my life. Verse 18, no man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and power to take it again. This commandment have I received from my Father. I like verse 18, the beginning. No man takes it from me. There's no man taking my life from me. Even though it's humans that are nailing me to the cross and it's going to be a human who, who puts down the final word and said, yeah, crucify him. He said, no man's doing it. I'm allowing it to happen because my Father has asked me to do it. His mind and his desire for our souls was set. His trust in his heavenly Father did not fluctuate. I'm doing this because my heavenly Father asked me to. There was a real purpose. And that's why we continue, isn't it? We continue on with the Lord because we know it's God's reasoning. It's the will of Jesus Christ. It's the will of the Father that we should keep going. And uh, we are empowered to keep going by the Spirit that we have received, the Holy Ghost and fire. Go to Psalm, if you will, and uh, 69, Psalm 69. We're going to look at here um, the, the cords which held Jesus to the cross at Calvary were not physical. The nails couldn't hold him. And if there were ropes, they couldn't hold him. And uh, there's no one up there saying, no, don't jump down, otherwise I'll stab you. None of that was true. It was our sin which caused him to stay there. And we'll find out later on about how that worked. Psalm 69 and verse 6 to 9. Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Don't let them be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. He was very aware that real true seekers who are looking for the God of Israel, don't let them be confounded about what I'm going to go through. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. Now we need, this is a psalm of David. And David went through this, but it was a prophecy. That one of the reasons Jesus came. I am become a stranger unto my brethren. They ran away from him. And an alien unto my mother's children. Verse 9, for the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. I'm consumed by the love and the zeal of your house and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fell on me. They've reproached you, Heavenly Father, and now they are now reproaching me. I'm paying the price. They are reproaching me because they don't like you. Jesus had to take on that aspect of humanity that we had to pay, he had to pay for the um, uh, the love that people had didn't have for God. They hated him. Jesus had to pay the price for that to set us free. 
Galatians 3 says, don't, don't go to Galatians 3 verse 13, says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So Jesus became that curse. He had our sin on him when he was on the cross of Calvary. Hebrews in chapter 2, if you will, please. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. I was speaking to a gentleman here at the um, uh, event on Saturday and he was uh, saying that uh, uh, people say that Jesus was just another angel. And I say, no, he's not just another angel. We read that here, that he's not just another angel. There are other groups who believe that he was just another angel. Um, one of the archangels. We don't read that's true. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, please. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour, that he by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Angels don't taste of death. Jesus was a man. He tasted of death for us. And now he's seated next to the Father's right hand. He's not an angel anymore. He was a, he's with his heavenly Father. In First Peter 8, t- turn to Isaiah 53 while I'm reading this, please. Isaiah 53. In First Peter chapter 3, verse 18, says, For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, He was the just, we were the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, brought to life by the Spirit. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Therefore will I divide him, this is our heavenly Father will divide him, that's Jesus, a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil uh, with the strong, because, let's read this carefully, he has poured out his soul to death, he was numbered with the transgressors, that's the sinners, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So it was a sin that kept him on the tree. He had to pay the price for that. There was only one way to pay the price for it. That was to die for it. In Hebrews 9 verse 28 we read, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them which look for him shall he appear the second time without sin to salvation. Next time he is coming to us, he will come without sin for our salvation. Um, all right, I want to go now to uh, uh, go to John chapter 15. So we see that the purpose in Jesus was to nail our sins to the cross. He rose from the dead. He became sin in the flesh. And that sin was nailed to the cross. His heavenly Father didn't look upon him. That's why Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because his heavenly Father didn't look at him because he was sin. The heavenly Father doesn't look at sin. He rose from the dead to show that sin was overcome by him. Sin was nailed to the cross. Sin was taken down. Sin was buried. But sin was resurrected. He, Jesus overcame sin. And the way we overcome sin, and the way that we have our Heavenly Father overcoming us, overcoming sin in us, or seeing that we've overcome sin, is by giving us His Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, we overcome sin. Um, why did Jesus want this to happen? Why did His Heavenly Father want this to happen? John 15 verse 7. Jesus said, If you abide in me, if you you make your abode in me, if you live in me, 
and my words abide in you, live in me, be in me, stay in me, continue in me, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. He's not talking about pears and apples and oranges here. He's talking about bringing forth fruit to good works, bringing people to the Lord, having good things happen in our life, praising the Lord, bringing forth much fruit, bringing up a family in the Lord, continuing to tell people about the Lord, bringing forth fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So in the same way the Heavenly Father loved his Son, Jesus has loved his disciples, loved us. He says, continue ye in my love. The word continue, abide. Same word. Live in it. Be in it every day. Don't stop. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Simple, isn't it? Keep doing what I've asked you to do, you'll stay in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 13, please. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life in the battle against sin, not in the, again, in, in the battle against the foreign enemy, but against the enemy which was sin, which was the opposition, Satan. He won the battle for that. And that's why he had to lay down his life for, for you and for me. That's how we overcome that horrible state we were in before. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So God loved us. That's why he sent his Son, Jesus. That whosoever believes on him should not perish. But we that but have everlasting life. So the difference was, as we believe in Christ, we follow him, we abide in him, we have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, we've just read. I'm going to read to you First John, the epistle of First John, chapter 3, verse 16. Hereby we perceive the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Amen? It was the spiritual love that Jesus Christ had for his creation man and woman, and he laid that down on the cross. He loved us so much. That's why he did it. It was his love which held him to the cross. So where did he get the strength to keep going? Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26. This was read out the other day, the second meeting here. Talking about when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he went away, left the disciples there, and he went away and prayed. In verse 42, this is after he'd prayed a couple of times and he'd come back and seen the disciples asleep, etc. He said, and he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. So in this stage, he was resigned to the fact God wasn't giving him another way out, he obviously told his son, you've got to go through this. He said, except I drink it, unless I go through this, your will be done, Father. I'm going to go through this. I'm resigned to do what we initially planned to do. 
He resigned himself to do the divine will of God. I suggest to everybody here, if we resign ourselves to do the divine will of God, our life can't get much better than that. And all the people said, doing the will of God is what this is all about. It's not about other natural things. It's about doing the divine will of God. Genesis 3 reads this, And I will put enmity between thee, he's talking to uh, to, uh, Satan, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, the seed of the devil, the seed of the woman. And we're talking about Mary here, or even Israel. It shall bruise thy head, the seed of the woman will bruise your head, you will bruise his heel. So this is the difference. The seed of the woman, Jesus was the seed of the woman, stamped on the head of the devil, killed him, destroyed him, even though the devil firstly bruised the heel of Jesus. He had to go through this crucifixion. Jesus knew this was going to happen. He resigned himself to go through it because he had a loyalty to God's eternal plan. This was way back at the beginning of things. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, we read the story. And this is what the rest of the Bible is all about. This is what the coming of Jesus is all about. Jesus came to destroy sin in the flesh. In Acts chapter 2, turn to that place, Acts chapter 2. This is when Peter is talking to the uh, Jews who had, uh, had, had heard about people speaking in tongues and they didn't know what was going on and they said to Peter and the rest of the, the uh, um, believers or unbelievers there, what shall we do? What are we going to do? And this is part of what Peter the Apostle said to the people. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, God knew it was going to happen. You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Death could not hold the Son of God. Jesus went through it because he had complete loyalty to the plan and purpose of God. Romans 8, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, please. I'll read Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Um, predestination is all about, we know what's going to happen if we follow the will of God. Our future is predestinated. Yeah, That's what's predestinated. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So this plan happened, we saw it set up before the foundation of the world. Before there was anything around the place, before anything happened, God planned for this to happen. He planned for us to be in the situation. He planned the will and purpose of God was to make it happen this way. And so Jesus fulfilled the will and purpose of God. And as we continue on with the Lord, we do the same thing. We fulfill the purpose and plan of the living God. I want to read to you from Second Timothy chapter 1. In verse 9 it says, 
who has saved us, speaking about Jesus, and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. In Titus 1, it says this, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So we see three references here. God promised this before the world began. It was all in his plan. Jesus came to fulfill the plan, the purpose of God. Let's finish in First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Peter is simply starting off this letter, addressing the people he's talking to. Elect, this is us, this is the church members, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit. God knew that was God's plan, that it was through sanctification of the Spirit that people were going to be called elect. Unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. If we were obedient to the sprinkling, Jesus was obedient to the sprinkling of the blood, and we have to be obedient to that in that we agree that that was God's sacrifice, his own son. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. This is pretty good, isn't it? Peter's writing this letter and laying out to the church wherever they were at this particular time, all over the place. You know that these letters were passed between churches, don't you? Paul said, pass the letters around, make sure everybody gets a good read of things here, and copies were made and so forth and so on. Grace and peace is multiplied to us because the will and the purpose of the living God is that we are going to live forever. We are going to continue in the strength of Jesus Christ and make it. The eternal plan simply means that he began with a plan that would go on forever. He began with a plan that would go on forever. Now we have now, what we have now is a promise to be involved in whatever he has planned for the future. There's a great tomorrow coming when the Lord shall return and then there's more to go after that and there's more to go after that and into the ages of the ages. We will be a part of whatever God has planned there. He, Jesus, is the perfect human. Every bit was perfect about him in what he did, his actions. It's interesting, we had a pamphlet in our letterbox this week. It had a nice uh, uh, picture of a man on the front who was obviously supposed to be Jesus and a few pictures inside about people that are supposed to be disciples of the Lord and so on too and an invitation to get involved in an Easter talk because Jesus, his celebration is at Easter time about his death and so on too. And it was interesting. There was another note in it, a hand written by the person, obviously a very sincere person, and wrote it down there and said, please do this and please do this and please do this. Get to this online meeting. We can't meet in public, so blah, blah, blah. Do this. It was very good. I looked and I thought, who's written this? Very interesting. And just down in one corner, um, jw.org. So I won't be there. And I might let him know that. There's, a, there's a, an address, I'll post a letter back to him and just let him know why I won't be there. But uh, He wants us to have this peace. Jesus is the perfect human. 
But we're not saved by being perfect humans ourselves in that natural sense. But Jesus took away our sin to make us perfect in the eyes of his heavenly Father. He destroyed sin in the flesh. So we stand today in this wonderful position. He died to make us perfect in the eyes of his heavenly Father. We're in a good place, aren't we? Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. 